Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, where each time we meet, we run down the IT news of the week with a variable degree of snarkiness. It's Wednesday, August 11th, and I'm Zach Demeyer, writer here at Gestalt IT. And uh, you may notice that uh, Stephen Foskett is not with us today. He is out on vacation. But if you, uh, if you look over, you might see a familiar face because joining us today, back again, your friend and mine, it's Tom Hollingsworth. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm great, Zach. I had a nice long vacation. I uh, managed to get out into the wilderness. And so far, none of my camping equipment has come down with ransomware. So I'm kind of excited about that. Hey, there you go. It's, uh, it's always a plus. So, Tom, you know, uh, this Sunday was the closing uh, closing ceremony of the Olympics. And uh, in light of that, could you just let's let's just tell the audience uh, what's what's your go to IT Olympics event? Uh, that would have to be the 400 meter freestyle command line typing interface. Of course, of course. Mine would be the lift and shift, obviously, you know. Mm. Yeah, just kind of like the clean and jerk, but, you know, going to the cloud. Um, so anyways, uh, let's let's get on with the news. This week, uh, the antivirus maker Norton LifeLock has agreed to merge with Avast in a transaction valued at over eight billion U.S. dollars. This move follows the acquisition of the German AV company Avira back in December of 2020. The name may sound familiar to longtime users of computer software, as Norton has always been the premier name in computer security. Avast stakeholders must approve the deal in order for it to go forward. But Tom, what do you think about Norton gobbling up another AV vendor? Zach, I hope that this is not somebody trying to put together an evil security conglomerate robot that's going to take over the universe. I'm hoping more along the lines of uh, Voltron, uh, perhaps, or maybe a Megazord, um, mostly because the need for consumer-grade endpoint protection is starting to be a little, I don't know, nebulous. When you think about things like Windows Defender being pre-installed on all Windows PCs and the fact that Microsoft wants to basically run Windows in the cloud going forward, um, I mean, even the name antivirus, I, I, I know that we kind of avoided saying it in the article that's linked in the show notes, but it's really difficult when most of the things you're fighting now are not viruses, they're malware, they're ransomware, they're these, you know, other kinds of things. But I think that, you know, considering that I had forgotten that Norton had even bought Avira, um, hopefully, fingers crossed, this turns out to be a good move for all parties involved and doesn't end up being something that just is like, oh, I'm going to take these assets and repackage them and sell them off because that's all we seem to do with companies anymore. All right, Zach, it's time to chalk one up for data because in a stunning move related to, hold on, let me check my notes here. Uh, yeah, advanced linear regression. Pizza giant Pizza Hut is looking at using AI modeling to examine customer buying patterns related to how likely they are to buy certain types of pizza and when. Now, in the linked article that we have in the show notes, they talk about the fact that one of the things that Pizza Hut is really focusing on is weather conditions, um, because it turns out that you might be more likely to buy a Hawaiian so when it's sunny outside, and maybe you want something spicy when it's cold outside. And they're trying to get those um, relationships built in the system so they know when to put ingredients in the stores and such things like that. Now, there's no word yet from Colonel Sanders or the Taco Bell Chihuahua as to whether or not they're going to start using AI in any of their food products. But Zach, what's your take on this whole self-aware pizza thing? 
you know, there's a there's there's sometimes Tom when I feel like I need a computer's help to help me decide what pizza to eat because you know there's honestly so many options. Um, you know, like you said, uh, when it's sunny out, I might be feeling a Hawaiian. When it's a little chillier out, let's spice it up. You know, uh, throw some peppers on there or what have you. Uh, but you know, this is kind of a really interesting sort of concept uh, from coming out of Pizza Hut. And I'm really kind of curious how it's going to work. You know, actually, um, in a past AI field day, Intel showed off their Analytics Zoo product, which they actually said they are, are working with Burger King to, you know, mishmash several, I think it was four different uh, ML models to ultimately predict which uh, coupons customers are going to use most. And, uh, you know, kind of just that concept of building off of what people are are liking to eat and when is something that it seems like is you know kind of becoming a general trend but you know personally i feel like if some computer is going to try and tell me what to eat uh there's there's going to be times when i'm going to feel like hey you know you're not you don't know my brain maybe i'm not hungry for that right now so there's a it's it's an interesting prospect but one that i feel like is is one that's going to be a bit um what's the right word for it it's going to be a bit problematic for some people, especially the people that are, you know, like diehard pizza folks that really, you know, don't, don't, they, they know what they want and they know when they want it. And it doesn't matter whether it's raining or snowing or what have you, like the postman, their pizza is going to get to them regardless. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how it pans out and, you know, maybe you, you, you come one day, it, it might just be uh, AI just predicting what we eat all the time. And uh, it really will save a lot of arguments for married couples sitting there going, what do you want to eat? I don't know. Should we go out? I don't know. Should we make something in? And, uh, you know, turns out maybe it's just pizza. Maybe all you needed is pizza. So uh, we'll see. Uh, anyways, Tom, after a scathing report two years ago that said that the U.S. federal government was lacking in cybersecurity protections, you'd think they'd get their act together, wouldn't you? Well, <laughs> welcome to... Uh, government IT. In a new report released last week, the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs ranked four federal agencies with a D grade, three with Cs, and only one agency managed to pull out a B. If it were college, uh, it seems like the U.S. government would be failing right now. Uh, part of the reason cited for the falling grades was a large number of legacy systems that must be maintained as well as protected. The Department of the State, uh, Transportation, Education, and Social Security Administration fared the worst, while the Department of Homeland Security was the lone standout. No word yet from the departments about how they'll try to fix these issues before the next report gives them even lower grades. But Tom, is this just government IT being hard? Raise your hand if anybody has ever worked in government IT. Raise your hand if you still don't have projects installed from government IT that you proposed two decades ago. I mean, this is part and parcel. The government doesn't move quickly. And the fact that the oldest departments at the U.S. federal government are the ones that are having the most trouble, I mean, state, education, those, those aren't surprises. Social Security Administration, I'm sure they're probably still doing things on punch cards. Yes, Homeland Security got a B, and that's because Homeland Security's really only been around for about 20 years when you think about it. Of course, they're going to have the most modern equipment. Um, I don't think that this is going to get better anytime soon. And the reason for that is because there's two ways to motivate people in the government. You embarrass the living daylights out of them. And honestly, this isn't even embarrassing or you bribe them and that's not going to work this time. So you're going to have to have a major breach, probably either at social security administration or Homeland security to really push the, the needle forward. The state department doesn't care. Foggy bottom is not going to change. And, and when you look at the reports, 
a lot of it was, well, they couldn't audit to tell you who had access to what. I don't think they know who has access to what. Um, Social Security Administration, yeah, good luck with that one. You're going to have to completely revamp that department top to bottom. Um, Homeland Security, though, I think will probably take this report to heart and try to get a little bit better because as we're starting to see the rise of nation state backed hacking and nations responding as a national kind of, I, I don't know, um, unit, uh, that means that Homeland is going to be a very big target. So they're going to want to definitely make sure that they're protected. Uh, but again, I think we'll probably be talking about this story every two years until we both retire, because that's just the nature of how the government works. All right. Uh, one more AI story for you, Zach, because friend of the show, Snorkel AI, announced this week that they've picked up their next funding round. Um, they had raised a Series C of $85 million, and that puts this data-centric AI company right up there in unicorn land because they now have a valuation of over $1 billion dollars. This round is going to allow Snorkel AI to continue to build a world-class team, according to this uh, press release, and they are going to be developing their Snorkel Flow platform to bring more users to uh, be able to leverage AI, maybe for deciding what kind of pizzas we want to eat or something like that. Uh, but Zach, uh, you know, is more funding good news for the Snorkel team? You know, I think at this moment, yes, it's it should definitely be good news for them. I mean, obviously, like you said, they're looking to invest in their engineering teams. And, you know, uh, given the complexity of of AI these days, as we're still kind of really trying to innovate in the space, uh, I can only imagine that having more money to pay more people to get good talent in is just going to help them build out a better product. But on the flip side, you know, there was a time when, you know, startups becoming unicorns meant that they really had something going and that they were going to, to make it and become, you know, the next big, you know, Facebook or Amazon or what have you. But these days, I feel like as companies become unicorns, they really just become targets, you know, uh, kind of like in the first uh, Harry Potter book when Voldemort goes in and is drinking the unicorn blood to gain longevity and, and, and eternal life. I feel like all the big tech companies these days are just seeking out unicorns so they can do the same thing, you know, just suckle their, uh, their, their talent dry. And so this might be a, a case where snorkel could be, uh, you know, the next, uh, the next ham on the butcher block, if you will, they might just be uh, put up, put up for offer to, the highest bidder, or it could really show that, you know, AI is becoming a lasting and, and important technology, and they might be, you know, one of the first to, to IPO and really show that, you know, AI is a, is, is a big thing. And it's, it's really changing the way that we, uh, you know, examine the world and, and analyze our data. And so time will tell. Ultimately, I, my uh, sincerest congratulations to the team at Snorkel. I think it's a, it's a really, you know, big milestone in any company, and it'll be exciting to see what happens next, ultimately. Tom, let's take a closer look at some of these stories this week, because some of them are pretty interesting and warrant a few, uh, a few more words, a little bit more conversation. So let's, let's talk about Extreme Networks. Extreme Networks know someone from Ipanema. Specifically, they're buying the Ipanema SD-WAN solution from InfoVista for a reported $73 million in an all-cash deal. This news comes on the heel from other big announcements and a comprehensive uh, from the networking vendor around new Wi-Fi 6E APs and a comprehensive strategy to connect users no matter where they're working. The Ipanema SD-WAN solution is a key part of this strategy, according to Nabil Bukhari, the CTO at Xtreme. Uh, with a rise of teleworking and other moves that push the traditional enterprise IT deployment model, 
Extreme is looking in new directions to compete. Tom, you recently sat down with the Extreme team to talk about these developments. What did you find out? Well, I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about the story because I think it kind of translates what we're starting to see in the market because we've talked a lot, especially at the recent Mobility Field Day, about Wi-Fi 6E access points. If you're not familiar, those are the ones that are using the new 6 gigahertz band that was opened up by the FCC last year. Um, it's great for people who are basically living in congested areas or in congested office spaces. The problem is, is we really don't have a lot of devices that take advantage of those. I mean, there's hope that the new round of laptops, whether they're from Apple or Intel or maybe the new mobile devices will have 6E radios in them. Um, but until that happens, you know, we're starting to look at, well, what does that really mean in a refresh cycle? And so I did, I actually sat down with, uh, uh, Jevin Patil of Extreme and I said, you know, are you guys looking at doing this because you're trying to drive people back into the office? Is this kind of a, a remote work type situation? And initially he said that it was really focused on the enterprise because this is not quite ready for your house yet. Even though the price points of these APs between using ones that do not have the 6E technology and ones that do is identical. It's still kind of outside the realm of what I would wanna to pay to put in 400 houses or 4,000 houses. But the Ipanema solution that they just purchased has an important role to play. And the reason why is because when you look at the way that Extreme has restructured their connectivity, it's no longer remote office, branch office headquarters. It's the edge, which they're calling the infinite enterprise. It is the connectivity layer between them and it's the cloud, extreme cloud, where they have all their configuration data and limitless scale to be able to onboard people. And if that sounds familiar, it's probably because back in the day, you may recall that they purchased Arrowhive and Arrowhive had done a lot of work in this. In fact, Extreme's Cloud IQ um, is the Arrowhive Hive Manager. So they, they have a lot of, of um, legacy technology that they can work from. So what this means is, is they're gonna be able to push SD-WAN type policies to the edge, whether that edge is an access point or a Soho router or something like that, which is good news for people who are trying to manage all of this technology all over the place. Um, InfoVista was kind of positioning Ipanema to be a, a managed service provider SD-WAN offering. I looked at it a couple of years ago. In fact, if you head over to gestaltit.com and you search for uh, InfoVista, you should be able to pull up that article. Um, I think it's fascinating that basically they picked us up for nothing. Um, and let's be fair, every if you are a networking company out there listening to this and you don't already have an SD-WAN solution on the books or you're not already developing one, it's time to go make a friend because you're gonna need one because SD-WAN is no longer about connecting branch offices. Your branch is now somebody's house. And looking at the number of companies, especially in IT, who are starting to offer hybrid work policy, you don't have to come into the office anymore. You only have to come in one day a week you're going to need some kind of a uh, an SD-WAN type environment to be able to do that. And I think the real value there is not connectivity. Connectivity is effectively ubiquitous now. The real solution is an application acceleration. So we're going to be able to get the people who are using apps to work faster for what we need them to use be used for. And I think that that's going to be a growth area over the next 12 to 18 months is as companies start leveraging these assets to accelerate customers and users, however they're using their devices, no matter where they're using their devices, you're gonna see a lot of differentiation happening there. And it's important for them because that differentiation happens in software and software is where the real value is right now. 
Yeah, absolutely, Tom. And I really don't have a whole lot to add here. Obviously, networking is much more your wheelhouse than mine. But I, I think it's it seems like an important move from Extreme to really kind of keep at the uh, at the pace that this uh, this enterprise IT industry is really moving these days. Because, like you said, so many people are are really moving to a work from home model that it only makes sense that we really try and shift the paradigm of how we how we manage all these people. Because, like you said, the the brick and mortar office is really kind of becoming a relic uh, for for a lot of companies. And so finding ways to really, you know, rein in everybody as best you can, despite uh, all of the, you know, uh, the various locations that we can be is, uh, is a very important thing moving forward. So I think this is a great move. Awesome. All right, well, we got one more story. It's kind of more of a, a global story, but I thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk about because just when you thought it was safe to go back to eating guacamole, the chip shortage is still here. Uh, hold on, wait. Unlike tortilla chips, though, we seem to be unable to make enough computer chips to satisfy demand right now. Now, we've talked in the past, especially from like people like Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger to basically my grandmother, because she's even heard this on the news about how we're running out of silicon to make smart devices. And you see it everywhere. Car manufacturers have started cutting their inventory numbers because they can't get enough chips for their onboard computer systems. Governments are already starting to look at the possibility of having to build their own chip fabs because it's a national security issue at this point. And when you look at how companies like Intel are basically ramping up as much fab space as they can in the Arizona desert, that kind of lends credence to the idea of it's time for us to start relying on our own supply chains. Um, Moody's is even saying that this is becoming a big thing that needs to be dealt with. However, the story is getting a little bit crazy because it's so bad in South Korea that they've agreed to parole disgraced Samsung heir Lee Jae-yong because they need him to keep the company running. Samsung is one of those companies that's held by a family, in this particular case, the Lee family. And they're worried that if they don't have good leadership in place, that they're not going to be able to stay dominant at the top of the chip market. And when you consider that they convicted him of bribery two years ago, sent him to jail, let him out, and sent him back again in January, they're getting desperate. Um, I don't know how this is going to resolve itself, though, because most projections that I'm starting to see says that the most optimistic that we can hope for our chip uh, shortage to end is by the end of 2022, possibly the beginning of 2023. And I, it, this is one of the situations where we can't ramp production fast enough to meet the demand for things like PlayStation 5s and new electric Ford F-150s. So, Zach, I mean, how bad is it going to get? I mean... Just this move alone, uh, bringing J.Y. Lee out of jail, seems pretty desperate. I mean, this does come on the heels of uh, Samsung just finding out that they're being surpassed by Xiaomi as the uh, top mobile provider in the world. And, uh, you know, like you said, with with nations trying to build their own uh, chip building, you know, empire if they will if you will uh under under their own their own names this seems like a move to keep korea up in the top uh you know putting putting samsung back on the menu as far as as chip makers go um but like you said that that just simply doesn't change the fact that we don't have the materials uh we we talked on the moody report last week a little bit just kind of discussing the state of it and especially considering the the numerous acquisitions that happened in the past couple of weeks in the chip making space it's clear that there's a you know, a lot of movement going on. But like I said last week, at the end of the day, regardless of who's paying how much money to who and who's coming out of jail, we just simply don't have the resources for this. And so, uh, you know, I think that there could be a lot of move forward in in uh, potentially, you know, recycling old chips just to just to get some semblance of 
materials out of them or you know perhaps we could uh try reusing chips from defunct machines of uh you know times past and just kind of repurposing them but until we figure out those technologies we're just going to be kind of embroiled in this same um you know uh stalemate if you will where everyone's trying to get on top of the dog pile but no one has a ladder because there aren't any ladders and so uh, at the end of the day, it's it's really going to be kind of interesting to see what sort of uh, attempts, you know, kind of like these ones that uh, com- both companies and uh, nation states are making essentially to put themselves at the top of the chip dog pile. And um, unfortunately, I really don't see a future where this is going to let up anytime soon, because uh, like I said, we are just continually uh, pulling resources to the point where it's just going to be a, uh, you know, the uh, uh, scraping at the bottom of the barrel. And uh, unfortunately, that, that just means that we're just going to be out of chips. So better, uh, you know, put some lemon juice and, and some saran wrap on top of that guacamole, because it's going to be it's going to be a little hard to eat it here in the future. But Tom, Tom, what do you think? Well, I think this is actually a problem for companies like Intel because they have historically manufactured complex instruction set chips. And so when you can't get a hold of those, it really wrecks your programming pipeline. And that means you're going to have to turn to more ubiquitous chips, lower power, less complex instruction sets, um, risk architecture. Man, really, that really could change everything. Shout out to hackers from 1995. But it means that companies are going to start relying on ARM more because ARM is more available. Granted, you need a lot more ARM cores to be able to match that performance. But if I add more ARM cores to my system, I don't have to re-architect everything. I don't have to split it to do symmetric multiprocessing or something like that. And so I think that's why you're starting to see companies like Intel really sounding the alarm here is because this isn't just we need to ramp more fabs in order to keep supply going. This is we need to keep people from turning away from our product because they can't get it. Um, you know, uh, this same kind of thing happened. I was watching a documentary the other day on the PlayStation 2. The PlayStation 2 had advanced chipsets that had no software written for them. And so companies were kind of deciding, do we want to take an, a, a, a gamble on this, knowing that we don't have the right equipment in place and we can't even find them to write for them? Or do we want to continue to develop for other platforms that are a little bit more friendly to what we want to do? Now, obviously, the way that it worked out, they, they did this, but you're, you're still taking a risk. And in this world where it's a matter of, if I can't get these chips out, I can't do my development. I can't send out my, my software. I can't get customers and then investors are going to want their money back. Are you willing to take that risk and lose your vaunted unicorn status or, or even worse yet kind of get gobbled up by the next big company that did make the right pivot? I don't have an answer, and obviously companies like Intel are not going to be bought up because they're too big uh, to to swallow. But it does kind of make for an interesting strategic game, and I think that's kind of why the the news from Samsung was so um, shocking. Maybe not the right word, but just like that's how far we've fallen. We're willing to let a convicted criminal out of jail to run the company because that's what we need to stay on top. So I hope this works out and I hope that we're able to get to a point where we can ramp production and that we don't end up with a glut of microprocessors because we ramped production too far. Maybe in the long run, it will end well, but you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, we, uh, we will just have to let time tell us, huh? We will see. 
well um with that tom i think uh that that's a wrap that's uh that's the news of the week and uh that's the rundown so remember that the rundown is always available as a podcast as well as live on youtube every wednesday from 12 30 uh 12 30 eastern at youtube.com slash gestalt it video we also post the videos on our facebook page uh which is facebook.com backslash gestalt it and we'll be back next wednesday to talk about the it news of the week that was but until then for myself for tom hollingsworth and all of us at the gestalt it family here's wishing you and yours a very sparkly day